an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. We lived our lives making decisions mm-hmm. jointly and fully consulting each other. And so it doesn't feel right to me to take on this role. It's, I mean, I know what I she know. likes and she's very appreciative and she tells me all the time, but it, it means that there's an inequality of power. And if I were the type of person who wanted to watch my programs and mm-hmm. have what I wanted to eat all the time, this would be, and go to the movies I wanted to, this would be like, hey, this would be great. But this is not who I am. This is not who we are. It's not who she is. And so it's just an enormous loss. Dementia Discussions. Here to help and empower our heroic caregivers with knowledge and experience. Dementia Discussions with the caregivers themselves and memory loss professionals. Here to help with 30 years as a geriatric social worker is your Dementia Discussions host, Barbara Hammett. Hello and welcome to Dementia Discussions. I'm Barbara Hammond. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome back Bill Coleman. Bill was here with his wife, Deborah, who is lovely. And we had a terrific show with both of you. I'd like maybe just for you to give a little bit of background again, if you don't mind, just to set us up today, since it's you here alone. Take it away. Okay. I'm caring for my wife. Deborah. We've been married for 37 years. We've been together for 40 years. So we know each other pretty well. In fact, we met in graduate school and we're both architects, although we had different careers. But she is an accomplished professional. She had her own firm and worked for a number of other very great architects and eventually had her own firm. She did a lot of excellent work. She's extremely competent and very low-key, and her clients all loved her. She's a very good listener, and she internalized everything that needed to be done and did it very well. She's 65. Seven or eight years ago, she was diagnosed with posterior cortical atrophy. In about the year before that, she was complaining that she wasn't getting that much done. And I could see that wasn't like her. She would show me her work and I could tell that it was taking her a very long time to work through things. And there was a point where she brought a floor plan to me. She was working on somebody's uh, house and she didn't know what the solution was. And she told me what needed to happen. And there was a solution that was so obvious that it might not have been the right one, but 10 out of 10 architects would just, that would be their first one. You just create a little corridor like right here and the whole thing was solved. And I said that to her and she didn't know what I was talking about. Hmm. And then I said it like three times and I pointed to where you would do this. She didn't understand. And and then I sketched it for her and she couldn't 
she didn't understand it. I thought she was kidding me. I didn't know what was going on. So anyway, it took three neurologists to figure out exactly what what the diagnosis was. And it was really heartbreaking because she can't draw. She can't read architectural plans. She can't read a scale or a ruler. She can't read a lot of clocks. She has trouble with organization and staying on point to follow directions. And it's all the skills that are exactly aligned with what it takes to be an architect. Hmm. And so she had to give up her driver's license. She, I had to wind down her practice. And I, I knew some of it, but just from what she told me, but I didn't know all the details. I, I didn't know, understand her file. I figured it out because her files were organized excellently, but I didn't understand it at first. And there were things that came up over the coming months where people were writing and wanted to know things. And I, I figured out the things. I wound her firm down. I dealt with all of that, all of her professional affiliations, the boards she was on. Because even before we gave those up, I went with her and sat to the side because I thought, wow, she could still do this if I could support her. And, and I could see that she couldn't, couldn't process the information. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't just stop. We went along and it was very painful. I don't know if other people, I don't know oh. what they thought. I don't know anything, but we just pulled out of, of everything. And so, so at the time, so she's 65 now. So she was 58. She was, I'd say, seven or eight years ago, because she's going to be 66 in two weeks. She was 57 or 58. So where she is now, and she's been like this the whole time, she's got absolutely full awareness of exactly what is going on with her, what she could do before, what she can't do now. She can articulate. She can look at a situation and say, I used to be very good at this, and I can't do it now. It's as if there's a part of my brain that's missing. And so she has that, and she also has full empathy. She's concerned with our kids, our parents, or All of them were alive. Our friends, just, and me. This is the nut of everything because like her decline was pretty abrupt. Maybe it had been going on for a while, but it seemed like the last nine to 12 months, she got to the place where she's at and the things that she can't do. And they haven't changed that much in the last eight years. She really hasn't declined. Well, she wasn't supposed to be able to read with that diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. for years, she could read the New York Times. She could read novels. She could read the New Yorker. And she did. She loves reading. And the last, I, I don't know how long, last year and a half or so, she's stopped doing that in detail. She'd look at the paper, read the headlines and all that. and But she was having trouble reading and we figured out that if you make the print very large she can read because she can still read she can read words she can't write but she can still read with effort so that has 
decreased that ability, but she still has it. And can she uh, remember what she's read? Can uh, she tell you what she's read? Yeah, yeah, she mm-hmm. understands. The things that she can't remember are things that, as a layperson, I don't know that I would call them memory, although it's probably has something to do with memory, but they have to do with things to do with time and dates and logistics, can't even process it. So she doesn't know if you say you have a doctor's appointment tomorrow at 2, she she can't do it. She'll remember that there's a doctor's appointment coming up, but she can't, and to make plans with her friends, if she's on the phone and they say, let's meet at, at 11, but if this happens, it'll be at noon. Can't. Can't retain all yeah, of that. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't ever, since this has happened, I've become extremely aware of micro decisions that people have to process and make. You don't think about them. So this is what's happened. And this is the challenge for me, is that I have to make all decisions, big and small, things that you never even thought were decisions or you didn't think about Mm -hmm. were decisions. And that's an issue because we always did everything together. We went to the market together. We picked the things that we wanted together. If they didn't have something that we usually liked, we would decide together. That isn't to say we never did anything separately. That's not true. We lived our lives making decisions Mm -hmm. jointly and fully consulting each other. And so it doesn't feel right to me to take on this role. It's, I mean, I know what she likes and she's very appreciative and she tells me all the time, but it, it means that there's an inequality of power. And if I were the type of person who wanted to watch my programs and mm-hmm. have what I wanted to eat all the time, this would be, and go to the movies I wanted to, this would be like, hey, this would be great. But this is not who I am. This is not who we are. It's not who she is. And so it's just an enormous loss. And yeah, for her um, and for you. So I, I've lost my partner. And my mother will ask me, do you need help around that? It's not that. Yes, I'm doing more around the house, but it, it's this loss of decision-making. And what happens is we talk a lot and we'll be talking about our kids or our parents or close friends, people, situations that involve years of background to these things. And maybe it requires a response from us or a decision or what are we going to do or what do we think about this? What position are we going to take? Are we going to tell them, no, we're not doing it or whatever? Right. And this goes on all the time. We will talk about something for days, let's say. And then one day we're going to do what we talked about. And then she will say to me, why are we doing this again? Mm-hmm. And that is like a dagger. I've never gotten over that. I've never gotten over that. I'm fooled all the time. I shouldn't be, but I am. And, and you and, think you're having a dialogue over the days. You think right, there's right, understanding and right. retention on both of your parts. 
and there isn't. No. Mm. So I'm always surprised. And then as a part of that, I, I said that she had empathy. When she sees me dealing with things, because I'm dealing with the things, and if, say, pick something like simple, like I'm on the phone with the utility company because there's some, some issue, and I'm getting frustrated, mm-hmm. maybe they're not answering right, whatever it is, right. somebody yeah. isn't understanding me, she will say, Bill, I'm so sorry that oh. I can't do this for you that you're left doing this. She sees and, you and she and, knows. And, and, and yeah, and so I, a lot of times I've learned I just have to try not to be oh, flustered. Shit. And then this gets into, especially when about five or more years into her illness, when her stepfather passed away at the age of, it was 98, and her mother had dementia, different kind of dementia. And, Her mother was an only child. Her father, who died 35 years ago, was an only child. Deborah's an only child. Her stepfather, he was almost 100 years old. He he was the youngest of a a family, Mm -hmm. uh, way younger. And they were all gone. He had no children of his own. It it all fell to me. And I love my mother-in-law. And I loved all of them. And that fell to me. That was something I never thought about as a possibility all the years we were married, that was her bailiwick. Mm-hmm. And uh, you figured she was going to take care of her well, mother. Well, well, yeah. well, well, she was. And everything was set up for that legally and everything. And I had to take that over. And she felt she was, that was a real big bill. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Oh, she knew what was on your shoulders. Oh, absolutely. And that involved stuff from her mother, her stepfather. There was unresolved business from her grandmother's estate, and her grandmother died in 1989. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I knew them really well, but I wasn't clued into those kind of details. And I, Mm -hmm. I had to find everything and figure out where everything was. And I had to become her mother's court appointed conservator. Right, when things went sideways over there, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't set up. It wasn't set up where it it would have gone to Deborah. But so in terms of challenges... I just want to say, Bill, that you have really stepped up. I saw you through that, and you really stepped up to the plate. It was incredible, really. Well, I couldn't have done it without your help. It was a team effort. It was, it was, yeah. Yeah. Things were going sideways with a caregiver, and you really stepped in there. Thank you. I have no, I feel good about all that, but I have to say, things started to get so heated around the time my father-in-law, Deborah's stepfather, passed away, and I had to start, that was the last few months of his life, I had to start stepping up. That's when we met. I had a very responsible job, and I had to make the decision to retire a little earlier. I don't know when I would have retired. It, it might have been a year, maybe two years early. I, I don't really know. I'll never know. Because I I really loved it. I was very good at it. I it was an important position. But I had to do that to focus on my family. That's what I had to do. And I, I don't regret that. 
That's good that you can look back at that time. And leading up to that too, my mother fractured her hip and I'm the oldest and my siblings don't live here. <laughs> One of them doesn't even live right. anywhere near. Right. And, and so all I, this and your mother. Yeah. Yeah. So Deborah, you were talking about her empathy for you yes. in all of this and how she can really see and she would apologize that she couldn't be there. She understood that. Oh, absolutely. And then on the awareness front, sometimes I'll be talking too fast or trying to make something happen faster than it can. And she'll just stop and look at me and say, Bill, I have Alzheimer's disease. It takes me a little longer than it used to process what I'm going to tell you mm -hmm. and, and to think this through. So you're just going to have to be patient. And I feel terrible. But she has that awareness. She has that awareness. So this is Amazing. a blessing. It's a blessing that we have what we have. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's just in my support group, I've been asked several times, well, why are you surprised when she says something like, well, why are we doing this again? Because it's the nature of our relationship. And she seems normal enough. She doesn't feel that inside if we're with some friends or whatever, but she does. There are a lot of things she, she can't do. I'm compensating for those things, but she seems normal enough. And so we talk and the way her personality is essentially unchanged. Right. I mean, she was mm -hmm. always an introvert. She's a little quieter than she was, but her essence is the same. Right, exactly. No, her baseline personality has not changed. So I can no. see what you're saying. She's normal enough. She is. I mean, when I've seen her, she can pass. Yeah. Right. People right. would not know. that It's not like I haven't known her always, but. She appears very young and fit. So before the pandemic, when we had dinner with friends and everyone would just talk normally. and Yeah. And then you're punched in the gut every so often when you realize that she's not with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just thinking about what's going to happen, which you can't, I can't let myself think like Go that. There. But yeah. But in my support group, boy, I mean, there, I feel for everybody. And everybody's got a different situation. I mean, I can only be thankful for what we have. Everyone finds their own way to be thankful. Talk about your support group a little bit. What makes it different? What kind of support group is it? It's for early onset Alzheimer's caregivers. Under it, 65, I believe. I, I guess that's the definition. It's a lot of the people have come down with this in their 50s or their spouse. Mm -hmm. And so some of them are older now, but that's where it started. They can relate to having to give up their careers. Yeah. And, yeah. I don't know if everyone has given up their careers, at least in my group. I, I don't know. They're all dealing with a host of issues. The, my wife, her symptoms and all that are different than other people's. And the yeah. dynamics, everyone has a different right thing and that at a different level of decline and a rate of decline and yeah no that's what we say if one person with alzheimer's one person with alzheimer's because it's so different everyone is so different the course for everyone really is unpredictable you just yeah. never know and deborah's it's slow it's a slow decline 
I happen to know other people in your support group and they've had a more rapid decline. Yeah. And I guess at any moment it could accelerate or the dam could break and, and whatever. But for her, it's a like a specific node in her rear right brain that controls these exact things. It's just heartbreaking. It sounds like it. And you, your wife is so sweet. And mm. she knows what she can't do when she takes that, does that test where they say count back from 100. Mm-hmm. She just starts laughing. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. knows it's coming. Can she do it? No, she'll just say, I can't do that. Try. <laughs> and she's just laughing. <laughs> right. She's laughing. I can't do that. But the thing she can do. Mm-hmm. When she has to draw and copy like a, a shape or something. She can't do it. She can make marks, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's got to kill her. As an architect, that has to kill her. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Not to be able to draw a simple pentagon. Yeah. Intersecting pentagons. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But, 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 but then they show diagrams of things and you have to identify a hairbrush. or mm-hmm. And so... They showed a bird, and Deborah said, some people would have said it was a pelican, a stork, or something, or a bird. That would have been good enough. Deborah said, it's an egret. <laughs> and her doctor was like, what? And she said, it's an egret. He, he didn't know what an egret was. He's probably shown this diagram. A thousand times. A thousand times. <laughs> and he said, you're right. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it is an egret. Huh. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, yeah. You know, reversing letters, a, yeah, making up a word. <laughs> like we have to be concerned. Yeah. No. Nope. Yeah. He said, yeah, that's a, that's actually what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever he was looking at looked just like that. Hilarious. Yeah. So it sounds like you still do get together, coronavirus aside, like you get together with other people and are they pretty supportive? Do they notice changes with Deborah too? I, I don't know. Everybody knows to go through me. She has her cell phone, but we don't use it anymore. So I decide, okay, we're going to call your best friend from the first grade. You now works at the State Department. And mm-hmm. we'll just and you call. set it up. Well, yeah, I just punch it in. And then we talk. And, mm-hmm. and everything, yeah, it's okay. Everybody understands. That right, um, she's more quiet or more withdrawn, well, not going to initiate. Does she initiate conversation? Yeah. She does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, with your kids too? Yeah. But I have to initiate. I mm-hmm. have to do the call and yeah, she'll ask them how they are and stuff because she's concerned. And That's sometimes crazy. we have to prompt things to get the conversation going. Mm-hmm. And I'm there as an MC. I'm in touch with all her childhood friends. I know when their birthdays are. You've taken over the social calendar. Yeah. Over the years, all of our friends from going from elementary school, high school, college, work, professional associations, the people that that we know that Mm -hmm. each of us met are all, it's all integrated. We're all, we all know each other. So you're both in the same field. Yeah. Yeah. We're both in the same field, but. I liked all the friends that she made throughout her life and the same with her and everybody mm-hmm. took to each other. It's great. So anything you would want to talk about in terms of your ability 
to cope with all of this? Right. Anything that's helped you? You talked about your support group. Yeah, the support group is great. I just provide a structure here and a routine. A daily routine. Yeah, a daily routine. So it makes it understandable what we're doing. I make calls to family and friends and involve her. We have a dog, and the dog is our dog. But our dog is great because it gives you a structure to your day because we take him out for walks about every three hours. Which is great. Uh, Your dog, Charlie. And so that gives you a structure. And I keep busy doing hobbies. Hobby, I don't know what you call hobbies. Maintaining the house, Mm -hmm. the garden, things that interest me. And you get through your day. Yeah, so the day day goes pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten a lot of things done during the pandemic. I mean, I'm still dealing with a few estate issues with her parents. And that's Mm -hmm. provided a lot of stuff for me to do. And then now I'm taking care of my mother, paying all her bills. And Yeah, I, between the, your in-laws, your wife, and your own parents, yeah, even your mother, you've really had a lot to deal with. And you've taken it on graciously. I decided, you know, I had a great career. I just decided when I thought about it, I had accomplished what I wanted to do. And what was more important than my family? Yeah, that's a good point. Family no. first. Nothing's more important than your yeah. family. And so I I have no regrets. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. And that's a good place, I think, to end on having no regrets. I think that's great. Thank you for coming back and telling your end of the your part of the story here because it's so important. We had a great meeting with Deborah, with you and Deborah. But it's I think It's nice to hear your end of things, so your struggles and your feelings. So I appreciate you having the courage to come on back and tell us that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story here today, Bill. Okay. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today on another episode of Dementia Discussions. If you're a caregiver or know someone who's a caregiver that would like to be a guest on the show, please call me at 310-362-8232 or go to DementiaDiscussions.net forward slash contact and let me know. It takes courage because not everyone's willing to do that. I would love to have you. Remember that you can follow Dementia Discussions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, it would mean a lot if you would leave a review. For any other information about this podcast, please visit me at DementiaDiscussions.net. And please share this podcast with someone you know if you think it may help. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you here again next time on Dementia Discussions. Dementia Discussions.